Yeah, but if I have to fish another cell phone out of the toilet, I'm just going to have to quit texting while I'm on the... Oh, geez, that's the music. Are we recording? Indeed we are. And that was very interesting, Chad, and very graphic. (laughs) Hey, everybody, this is Clint. And I'm Chad, and this is School Death. It's the podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. We hope you find our show as addictive as falling down a rabbit hole of Baby Yoda memes. Oh, Baby Yoda. He's amazing. I mean, so cute, but he's 50 years old, and and the way he stopped that rhinoceros monster thing. Okay, 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 we get it. Let's just move on from Baby Yoda, Chad, and everyone else. I mean, I know he's cute, and that show is great, but please, let's just give it a rest. Okay. I had planned on spending the whole episode talking about Baby Yoda, so luckily I have another idea. Okay, good. Yeah, so I was just surfing the World Wide Web recently. Uh, Yes, I found an interesting website listing some less than flattering administrator types and a few real horror stories from teachers who have had to handle some of these pretty horrible bosses. Would you like to hear a few, Clint? Yes, I would. (laughs) All right, (laughs) let's do this. All right. So uh, so the first one we're going to do is the look the other way principle. These are not true stories from us, by the way. What do you think the look the other way principle might do? Uh, I'm guessing this is a person, a, a principal, an administrator that does not pay that close of attention to what is going on around them and lets all kinds of crazy crap go by. Uh, so here's the story. I was teaching, this is not me, by the way, uh, quote, I was teaching in, sc- in a school where a third grade student told me he was going to kill me. He told me that his grandpa had a gun cabinet and he knew where he kept the key. When I told my principal about it, he said he wanted to kill me. He said <laughs> he said I hadn't built a good relationship with the students and it was my fault. He said I should invite the student to school on a Saturday to play games. <laughs> <laughs> what? that's insane moving on here we go how about the wardrobe police principal i bet you could probably guess uh what this might be like okay so this is a principal who cares way too much about what the teachers are wearing so here's the story uh i was teaching middle school and my principal pulled me aside to talk about how i dressed she told me that my knee-length dresses were inappropriate and that they were making the men on my team uncomfortable she said they weren't flattering either and that i should wear (laughs) something else to work ouch (laughs) <laughs> you look gross is what I'm saying. Put on think, some better clothes. I think the unflattering part is even worse than the critique about showing too much uh, skin or what, whatever like that might have been. shin? She was showing too much shin? Are we in 1897? Like, you better cover those ankles, girl. Those men right. on your team won't be able to control themselves. They yeah, they can't focus at work. Oh my gosh. How about the insensitive principle? This is the principle that does not take into account what somebody else might be thinking or feeling and just says terrible stuff all the time. So here's the story that goes along with this one. I had an administrator say to me uh, that since I was unmarried, a new teacher, and didn't have kids, that I should expect to carry the majority of weight for my department. She said I had more time to commit than everyone else with partners, families, and other commitments. You know what? I think that one is more common than we think, and maybe not explicitly said, but definitely thought. I have a a, a coworker who has no children, and she's often expected to go and do all kinds of extra things and be at every sporting event and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, just because she doesn't have kids doesn't mean she doesn't have things to do. So slow down, people. How about the, 
The narcissist principle. So the principle that uh, thinks that they are the absolute best, has all the answers, and talks about all the time that they were in the classroom and can't understand why you can't get it. Though that is so fitting. This story is nothing like that, but I love it. So, quote, I once had a principal who loved to sing. One year, she decided to sing Christmas songs during the end of the day announcements. It it started with one on the first day, and it grew during the week. By the end of the week, she was singing like seven carols. Buses were backed up. Parents were complaining about kids being late, and there were other problems, but it didn't matter. She had her mic and her captive audience. She was going to sing. (laughs) Oh, my word. You got everyone when you got that mic in your hand, and it's the PA and, like— you know you got your you got your audience. All right, we're gonna do two more here. Uh, the oh so demanding principle. They just want you to do everything right now and drop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin. I can't remember the rest of the line. Is that from something? I was trying to rap. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was good. You did a good job. I'm I'm excellent at rapping. There's probably a million stories for this, and you could probably go in a million different directions for the oh so demanding principle. But this story is the second week of school, I was written up for not having lesson plans. My four-year-old daughter had been taken to the emergency room and was in the hospital for a collapsed lung. She almost died. I went back to work on Friday, and the principal decided to come and observe me that first day back. When I told her my co-teacher had the lesson plan, she said I should have a copy. She also told me I should have made lesson plans because other teachers did that when they had a sick kid. Right. I've heard that horror story from actual people, not just amorphous internet folks. So that's, that's a real danger. All right, the last one here we have, and this could definitely go in a lot of different directions, the downright odd principle. So they're just a weirdo, you know? (laughs) There's not much else to say about it. They dress like a weirdo. They act like a weirdo. They probably smell a little bit like a weirdo. They're just weird. (laughs) Here's the story. Uh, One of my coworkers used to be the librarian at another school, and she said her principle was biased towards certain groups of people. Every morning when she came into the library, there were books laying all over the floor that had been cleaned the afternoon before. The principal wrote her up several times for leaving the library a mess. She wanted to figure out what was happening, so she came in extra early one morning and caught the principal knocking books off the shelves and onto the floor. (laughs) That was her last year as librarian at that school. What? (laughs) That's just weird, man. Wait, so the principal would get mad at at the librarian for having a messy library, but he was making the mess? He was framing her, yeah. That sounds like a sitcom. It does. Yeah, I imagine him listening to like classical music as he dances around the library, <laughs> knocking books off the shelves, singing to himself. Oh, my word. That was good. Yeah, that was quite enlightening. I'm glad that you were willing finally to share the real reason that you stopped being a principal <laughs> by telling me all of the things that uh, anonymous teachers said about their wild and crazy principles oh goodness that's insane let's go ahead and take a quick break and we will be right back this segment of schoolja is brought to you by the hall monitor you have warning systems in nearly every part of your life a security system to protect your home radar detector in your car to keep the fuzz off your back heck even your bank alerts you when your money has been compromised 
But what about your school administrator? How do you know when they are just around the corner? Hey, we've all been there. You're mailing it in the last two hours because it's the Friday before a long weekend and your students are behaving like a scene from Lord of the Flies. And in walks your administrator with a clipboard ready to do an observation and you start scrambling around like a crazy person trying to make the impression you still know how to teach. That's why there's the hall monitor. The first device of its kind to alert teachers when their principal is nearing their classroom. It's simple. Your hall monitor comes with a sensor disguised as a corny welcome sign installed outside your classroom. The sensor detects any walkie-talkie, bad necktie, pantsuit, clipboard, and a dozen other bad stereotypes associated with administrators approaching within 100 feet of your door. Next, it quietly sends a signal to a discreetly embedded receiver disguised as a I Heart Teaching button, immediately letting you know the boss is getting near, providing you with enough time to pull your hot mess of a class together and giving you high marks on your evaluations. So, come June, when your principal raves about your impeccable and consistent examples of bell-to-bell student engagement, we'll know who you can thank. The Hall Monitor. Because your apathy is our business. The Hall Monitor is not responsible for any disciplinary referrals, plans of assistance, or generally bad teaching. Welcome back. You know, we've talked on this show about the relationship between administration and teacher quite a bit. And we've definitely covered things like school culture and even classroom management. But we never have really talked too much about a word that's often used, but maybe not completely understood, leadership. And while neither of us will pretend to be experts on the matter, there are at least a bajillion books out there to claim they have the answers. Uh, We do have some thoughts and some questions about leadership uh, and how it affects schools' uh, priorities, successes, and culture. So I guess the big question first is, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about leadership? What what do we mean? Well, I think leadership can be like a bunch of different things. I think in some cases it's vision and, you know, the creativity of seeing like the direction, whatever group is going, whether it be your school or your district or your classroom or whatever. I think sometimes it's the ability to execute that vision, you know, and so I think sometimes good leaders are the ones who can get it done. And then sometimes I think leadership is just getting out of the way, but allowing the right people to do the things that they need to do and kind of like being able to facilitate that and sometimes motivate or just sometimes get out of the way and and give them the kind of the free reign to get it done. I I think it could look a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason that there are so many books and theories out there that tell us how it's supposed to be. I remember uh, one of the principals I had, Larry Lockett, who I very much respect, used to talk about how the number one priority in his leadership role was to make sure to hire good teachers. And then once he had good teachers, let them be professionals and do the things that they needed to do. And I don't think that that's always the philosophy that people have. And it can cause a certain amount of frustration because teachers are weird. Teachers are not good at being told what to do. Most of us have an independent streak and it can be very difficult, I would think, to lead a bunch of independently minded individuals who all have their own ideas as to how the school should be run and help them to work together and make that go. So I think your idea or your comment on it being having a vision and then helping everybody catch that vision and move forward towards it, uh, towards that goal is, is one of the big keys that goes into all of this. What do you think are the best ways to discover or to find people to, to become the, the leaders in a school? I think you got to be careful not to just kind of set a, a parameter or some sort of guideline like you've been here the longest. I think part of it is, is opening it up and giving the people in your school the opportunity to pursue that 
role. One thing that's really uncomfortable for me is being put in a leadership role if that's not something I'm comfortable doing or want to do. And so I think the assignment of leadership roles needs to be something that you think really hard about and maybe start by like opening something up. Let's say you're talking about department chairs or something like that. Say, who would like to do this? And then you really have to get a feel for if they've earned the respect of their coworkers and if um, they're somebody who can can lead a group of people and, and not have that dis- distension between their department. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. What, what, what do you think? I think that it depends on the different tasks that you want to accomplish. Some people would be excellent leaders at school culture, while other people would be excellent leaders as it comes to keeping up with data and paperwork and that kind of thing and staying organized and helping decide who's teaching what and those kinds of things being fair and equitable. And uh, I think one of the things that we do is we hamstring ourselves by giving one person all of that power, uh, like a department chair or whatever, where they get to make all of the decisions instead of playing to each other's strengths and figuring out as a group, like, what are what are the things that you do well? What are the things that I do well? And how can we use these uh, different skills better? I like what you say about playing to people's strengths. If we go one step up, the, the person, the leader that is kind of assigning those positions, it, it's important to make sure that you are putting people in positions to be successful. And then probably constantly, you know, at least evaluating that, seeing if that's working. When we were planning this episode, I was thinking about professional sports and particularly football, where there's a lot of times a a head coach who really has stopped doing like the X's and O's and the game planning and has become uh, an overseer of kind of the entire thing. And his biggest job is putting people in the right positions to be successful. And so hiring the right coaches that are going to do the work to follow that vision. You don't always have that ability to hire everyone in your building. But like you said, finding the the thing that each person can, can do well and their strengths and making sure that that is kind of in line with what you want to do holistically. And that's not easy to do. I think that people don't necessarily recognize just exactly how difficult that can be. You know, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking going on to continue your sports metaphoring or or armchair coaching where you're like, man, I wouldn't have made that decision. I wouldn't have done that thing and whatever. And that can make it a big challenge. As we talk about these kinds of leadership positions in a school, how much influence do you think does that adult leadership have on the students at that school? Does it even make a difference who the principal is or who the um, assistant principals are as far as the students' lives are concerned? Uh, on a day-to-day basis. By the time we get them as, as ninth graders, many of our kids are kind of really starting to find out who they are. They're getting to that point. And so I think as administrators and as teachers, our job is to set examples. And again, still we carry the vision, but a lot of times I think in order for that vision to be carried out, it really does come down to the kids. And even in that group, the, the leadership of those kids. And, and the reason why I say that is because I've been in the same building for multiple, multiple years where entire classes have come and gone from freshmen to seniors. And it's the same administration sharing the same goals and the same standards, whether it be academics or or school spirit or whatever that may be. And every year, the culture of the school is a little bit different. And a lot of times it is, you could almost point to who the student leaders in in that maybe senior class or the more kind of 
outspoken leaders are and the years that we've had really positive, outspoken, high achieving kids, there has been a different feel for other years where maybe that hasn't necessarily been the case. And so I do think some of that kind of comes to us kind of baked into the students themselves. Well, do you think then that it's possible for us to even teach leadership skills to our kids if it's kind of baked in or are are there ways that we can influence students to help them become better leaders and help them hopefully as they go on to not just in the school, but off into life, be able to take those skills and put them into practice as they go into careers? I feel like there's still a lot to following the lead of of teachers is important. Um, I, I'm not saying that kids are not, you know, still open to change and open to, to, to learning new things and having people influence them at this age. I still think we can teach them some things. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I hope that they can still be taught things because otherwise we're wasting our time. <laughs> I think uh, using like group work where you kind of rotate around who does what and make sure that it's not always the same person in charge in their group, giving students opportunities to do things outside of the classroom, either in extracurricular activities or just making your classroom assignments as real world as possible. I think those kinds of things can help students be more prepared to be better leaders. Well, and giving your entire student body the opportunities to be leaders, give them, like you're saying, situations in which leadership can be developed, even if you're not overtly teaching it or, you know, overtly pulling a kid aside and saying, you know, (laughs) leadership 101 says you should do this, but just giving kids an opportunity. And I think part of that is just, and again, and this can trickle down because I see my daughter in fifth grade, who's part of student council and stuff is, is giving kids ownership of what's happening in the school and letting some of that leadership just be developed through that as much as we can while still making sure things are successful and things like that, like stepping back and letting kids take over. And it's amazing sometimes I think what kids will do in terms of leadership and, and, and structure and everything else if we just let them do it. And, and it's a balance. I know our administrator talks about this a lot when we do like beginning of the year activities with our freshmen and stuff. And it's like we can't afford to have that be like a total disaster. And so like it's, it's hard to always let like our, our leadership class do some of those things because sometimes they don't go so well. But also like being able to step back from time to time and, and letting kids learn through that process of failure and, and watching kids step up. I want to talk quickly about uh, an experience I had as a uh, teacher of journalism where I had student editors. I had an editor who was extremely talented. She started out as a copy editor for me as a sophomore, which meant that she had to catch all of the mistakes that people were making in their writing. And her sophomore year, everybody in the class kind of hated her because she was not good at delivering that information. Um, By the end of her senior year, she was one of the most beloved editors on the whole staff because I had overtly pulled her aside and said, listen, you're very good at what you're doing right up until you tell people. And we had a very frank conversation about like the way that she's communicating and her personality and how that's not meshing with other people. I didn't tell her to change her personality, but we talked about how to approach things and how to talk to people in a way that they would understand each other. And um, she became a, a teacher. She became a, a, a person who could guide people through their writing and make, um, make their stuff much more impressive and more meaningful and useful to the paper 
And I, I bring that up, not because I'm a genius, but because sometimes we need to take the moment and talk to our kids who are trying to be leaders and make good constructive correction and say, listen, I see what you're doing and I see why you're trying to do it that way. It's not working. How can we fix it? And it became a process. The student and I worked together to figure out what was the best way for her to do it. And I think as teachers, we can't prescribe what's going to work best for our students, but we can help guide them and we can give them suggestions and we can let them try again and again and again until they finally figure it out. As you were telling that story, I thought many times of watching our young football players put on like the youth football camps in the summer. You can kind of see where sometimes there's a, a misconception or a skewed view of what a leader looks like. I can recall many times pulling a kid aside and just saying, hey, just a couple little tips here. I heard what you said. Try this and, you know, not getting in the way, not stepping in front of what he's trying to do. I mean, just like you would helping a kid with a math problem or anything else it goes a really long ways. And I, I can relate to that as a teacher. And when I've had really good observations, when principals have watched me teach, they've given me like really specific, like, hey, when you said this, if you could have just said it a little bit differently, think of how much more impactful that would have been. That's, I guess, where our role as teachers can be as we help kids, you know, improve their leadership skills. And I think that that's one of the biggest pieces, kind communication, being willing to take a minute and work with a person to help them improve rather than just say, well, you're bad at that and move on. And I think that it can be very easy to just say, they're never going to get better at this. And you just give the assignment to someone else. And then that kid is stuck. And I think it does take a little bit of extra effort and it can slow things down in a classroom, but eventually it will reap great rewards. Well, all right, listeners. Do you have any thoughts about leadership in the school? We'd love to hear them. Let us know by posting on our Facebook page or Twitter at SchoolDiaPod. And now let's take another quick break. This week's episode of SchoolDia is brought to you by PencilMate. Ninth graders are distinctly irresponsible creatures. They forget binders, homework, due dates, projects, paper, everything. But the number one item students forget on a daily basis is their pencil. A large percentage of a teacher's salary and life is spent procuring pencils for their pupils. Until now, we at PencilMate have teamed up with the good folks at the Roslam Institute, who cloned Molly the Sheep back in the mid-90s, and finally put that technology to good use, breeding pencils. By placing two pencils into our specially designed pencil cup, overnight your two pencils will multiply into 20 or more new number twos. Gone are the days of scouring the halls for old drop pencils. With the PencilMate breeding cup, you'll have more pencils than you can handle. PencilMate, let's get it on. It is recommended you wash pencils before use. Welcome back. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wait, what? All right, Clint, I have just a real quick question for mm -hmm. you. I want you to take a guess on when they stopped putting lead in pencils. I'm going to say 1843. Oh, you were so close. Not. <laughs> Is it 1992? Are we saying not again? Is Wayne's World popular <laughs> again? My life is so much I better. So. God, I, God, I hope so. Uh, the reason why this whole thing came up is the other day I was in class and I had a student ask me for some 0.7 lead. And I've, I had some in my desk drawer. And as I was getting it for him, I said, you know, it's, it's funny that you even call it lead because we all know that 
pencils don't have lead in them anymore. And like, why did you even call it lead? You're, you're 14 years old. Like never in your life has there been lead in pencils. Why do we not say, do you have any graphite? So someone else said, well, Mr. Matson, I'm pretty sure like it's called lead. Like when you buy it at the store, it's called lead. And I said, no, they, they don't call it lead anymore. So I look up like staples.com. And in fact, when you go to mechanical pencils, like you choose the lead size, it says right there, lead. So it got me thinking, well, when did they stop putting lead in pencils? And I was blown away, Clint. I was blown away. Are you ready? I'm ready. Pencils have never in the history of pencils had lead in them. Get out of town. That's nuts. Yeah. So like in the 1500s in England, they discovered graphite. They found out that graphite worked really good as a pencil. They started out just using it in blocks and kind of carving it into points. Eventually they put it in wood and, and kind of made the pencils that we know today. But never at any point was lead part of a pencil. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'll get to that in a second. But never at any point was lead in the, the writing part of a pencil. So the reason why it got the name lead is there were chemists at the time. It was kind of, uh, chemistry was not real uh, known in the 1500s. So people thought graphite was a form of lead. So at, at that point, they started giving that the name to pencils. But, but there's never been lead in pencils. Now, there's probably people listening saying, no, because I remember that you could get lead poisoning from pencils. And the fact is, before 19... 1978 was, it was lead the lead paint. paint. Oh, yes. and so if you were ever like chewing on a pencil, which many people did, you I may did. have, in fact, yeah, uh, probably not before 1978, but no, if, I was uh, in life. No, but there might have been pencils around from 1970. So you got to be careful. If you ever find a pencil in, you know, your grandpa's desk drawer or something, uh, be careful because it could still have lead in it. Wow. Basically, it's okay to call it pencil lead. It's just not made of lead. It's like many other things in our vernacular that we have two words that are the same word that mean different things. Pencil lead is pencil lead. We just need to understand it doesn't have lead in it and it never did. Wow. That's actually making me say, wait, what? Like, that's perfect. That actually right? has matched our title. I know. As soon as I, I just discovered this yesterday in my class, me and my whole class, like, had this huge moment of, you got to be kidding me. And I said, we, we got to share this on the show. That's insane. I don't even know how to wrap my head around this new information. <laughs> but it, the fact that you got lead poisoning from the, from the paint, yeah. I listened to a thing about uh, why kids would eat paint. Uh, yeah. back in the day and it's because it was sweet something oh. about it like the lead or something made it have a sweet taste and so kids would eat it not because they were stupid like how some kids would eat paste or whatever they only became it stupid actually after tasted consuming good. all the lead right and then yeah <laughs> oh my word that's nuts I Wait, did like what? to chew on pencils but I was yeah. born in 1979 so I think I'm in the clear I think you're good I think you're good. Well, that's good. Do you have any questions for us? Because we're done. You want to share how you demonstrate or teach leadership in your classroom? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can find me on Instagram at Chatterboxes and at my web store, chatterboxes.com. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. And all our sponsors are fake. Still don't believe it. Mm, it's true. As always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Or if that seems too hard, uh, tell a friend to listen. Or you could get 11 friends and paint your bodies to spell out schooled ya and then make sure to get on camera at a nationally televised sporting event. Yeah, sure. 
Actually, that sounds pretty reasonable. Do that. Wait, you agree with that one? How would anyone know that it's talking about a podcast and not just the results of a sports ball match? Sports ball. <laughs> Have you not heard that term before? <laughs> sports. <clears throat> Way to ruin our big moment, Clint. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Sports ball. Did you eat a lot of paint chips when you were a kid? <laughs> Why?